Hi, everyone. It's Tara and EJ with our Relationship Renovation Podcast. Welcome. Thank you for tuning in and listening. We are always so, so grateful to our listeners and all the amazing feedback we've been getting on our podcast so far. So thank you. Yeah, we want to continue to encourage everyone. We have been getting more and more feedback lately, uh, providing us with ideas for shows and asking us questions. And even on social media, we've had some couples recently kind of asking for some some advice and some feedback. So you know, we do always appreciate the engagement with our audience. So please continue to do that. It's, Ask uh, away. We love to respond. Well, today we have a guest back that we've had. Uh, I think this is your third time. Fourth, third? Fourth time. Fourth, Fourth time. time. Fourth time on. Jesse. Yeah, it's Jesse Crawl, who is a therapist at our center. Her specialty is SE, somatic experience. And she's just a, an awesome therapist and always provides a lot of great feedback here when she comes to the show. So welcome, Jesse. Welcome, Jesse. Thanks. So good to be back. Yeah. Well, I mean, we want to continue to discuss attachment, you know, attachment, the way in which we saw our primary caregivers uh, giving, receiving attention, how they coped with stress. And we want to talk more about how understanding attachment, how couples understanding attachment might, understanding that will help them in their relationship. And I think the launching point that you wanted to, to start with was kind of sharing how your own personal journey around attachment, how it sort of led you down your path of understanding it better and then supporting couples. Yeah, thank you. I'm so excited to tell this story. So several years ago, I was so frustrated that I couldn't find love. I mean, I had a lot of relationships, but they weren't good. They weren't working. And I decided to meet with this coach to help me attract love into my life. And she sat me down and she told me about attachment style and she broke it down in the simplest way I've ever heard. She said, essentially, there's three main types of attachment. There is your secure attachment, which is ideal. That's, I feel comfortable in my own skin. I feel like I can express my needs. I can express my emotions. I'm not afraid you're going to leave me. Mm -hmm. I feel confident. It's awesome. Secure is wonderful. And the great news that she told me too is that attachment is plastic, meaning you're not stuck with whatever attachment style yeah. that you developed as a young, young child or baby even. It can change throughout the lifespan, especially if you're willing to learn the skills to go towards secure. Right. So the other two insecure types are one, anxious, which is where I was following my baseline. And that's I'm really afraid of rejection. I'm afraid of abandonment. So that is kind of where I was. And then there's, on the other hand, there's avoidant. Mm -hmm. And it's my biggest fear is my freedom is going to be infringed upon. Mm -hmm. And what happens, which is maybe not surprising as you're listening, and you can kind of check in with yourselves about this, but often an anxious person will attract an avoidant oh, person. Oh, it's the perfect oh, yeah. I'm looking at you, Tara. <laughs> Oh my God, that's so true. It's, we'll talk yeah. later. <laughs> so I realized in this coaching that 
every partner I had been with was avoidant. So our biggest fears were butting up against each other. Absolutely. So I'm like, oh my God, like he's going to reject me. He's going to leave me. And he's like, oh my God, I need space. I need freedom. Like, yeah. Ah. Perfect storm. So yeah, perfect storm. It wasn't working. And so she also taught me that there's some really tangible skills that I can learn so I can move towards secure. And as I was able to shift my attachment style towards secure, it's all on a spectrum. So I still fall back into anxious episodes at times. I'm sure my husband could tell you, but mostly I have a pretty good handle on it. So I learned these skills and she had me read a book and I'll just share this book because it's super simple and I'm sure we can put it in the show notes, but it's called Attached and it's by Amir Levine and Rachel Heller. It is the best book ever on attachment that I've ever read. It's so good. It's so simple. It really breaks it down. It really gives you tangible skills. And um, on this journey of becoming more secure within myself, I was ready to attract love. And when I did meet Rob, my now husband, it was very clear to me very early on that he had a secure attachment. And the poor guy, like I made him read Attached like right away, really early on. And I'm so glad because I was like, now you can understand what happens when I get anxious. So he knows if I'm getting anxious, like he needs to help soothe the the anxiety and tell me like, it's going to be okay. I'm here for you. I'm not going anywhere. I love you. Just really soothing the anxiety, soothing the nervous system. And so we have this like freaking phenomenal secure relationship, which had evaded me my whole adult life until I figured out this piece that was getting in the way. So it's a long story, but. Can you share what anxious attachment looked like for you? And then maybe also like a little bit of understanding of like, wow, how was that built like internally for me? Yeah, yeah. So for me, it was very much my mind would get really preoccupied with the relationship. Like I would spend lots of hours like obsessing about the relationship. And then with things like text, like I would worry, like if I didn't hear back in a quick time, like like even like an hour or something, I'd be like, oh my God, what's going on? Do they not like me? Like, is this okay? And I'd constantly be like processing stuff with my girlfriends and like, I mean, I'm like embarrassed when I look back because I don't like who I was in relationships. I think it started for me. I mean, I grew grew up in a home where it wasn't really a safe home. There was a lot of volatile fighting when I was a kid. So that really created a lot of anxiety of just like, ugh, like I'm not even safe. And then my parents got divorced when I was 13, which is such an impressionable age. And I think I I just, it was really hard because my mom was the one who moved out and to feel that sort of sense of abandonment Mm -hmm. from her and left with my dad who wasn't the healthiest person to be there with. So there was a lot of really difficult dynamics happening in my home that created 
that style from an early age. And then, of course, my relationships in adult life just perpetuated Mm -hmm. the style because I did pick these guys who are avoidant. So anytime we would try to get close or emotional, they would like want to leave. And when it came to talking about commitment, they were like, commitment avoidant. I even went to a therapist with one of the guys and she's like, you're the most evasive man I've ever met because he just would not commit to me. And I laugh now because I'm like, why did I want him to commit to me? But I think with the anxious part, it's like you almost want someone to just commit with to you to commit so you don't have the anxiety of will I find love, but you're not even thinking about is this even the person that I love. Mm-hmm. It just soothes some kind of like abandonment wound. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the thing that jumped out to me, you said, was like I grew up in this household where I wasn't safe. Yeah, You know, I wasn't safe. I wasn't secure. And then so when we emerge out into adulthood or early adulthood and we start looking for somebody to connect with, it's like, here, you, you make me safe. You, yeah. you do, you make it feel good. You make it feel good. And it, it does, it yeah. creates this like gripping, but yes. what, 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 such an yeah. interesting thing though, that like, and this happens all the time, right? You're going to grip onto these people who have no interest whatsoever in being gripped. They want to freaking run away from being gripped, you know? Like, how do you understand that? Like, that sort of, like, picking the person who can't give you the thing that you're trying to get. Oh, I could go off on this one, Jesse. I'm going to give it to you first. No, you go. I want to hear what you have to say. Okay, so I'm going to go with, I've been trained in family systems for a really long time, and so there's this idea of differentiation, right? Yes. And And differentiation pretty much means, like, how individuated are we from our family of origin? And this can even be like a generational passing, right? And basically the more differentiated we are, meaning like we're able to develop this healthy sense of self and individuate from our family of origins and have our own opinions and have our own values and that secure sense of self versus someone who's not as differentiated from their family. They're very fused. They're very enmeshed with these dysfunctional family systems, which again, look like anxious, which look like hostile, which look avoidant. And if we kind of get emerged in that from our own kind of, you know, attachment or bringing up, it's so unconscious, we don't even know. And so they say in research shows that like we pick a partner that is the same level of differentiation that we are. So if you have one person that doesn't have a strong sense of self that's pretty much fused within these dysfunctional family dynamics, we choose someone who's about that differentiated. And it doesn't yeah. mean that they have the same like anxiety or whatever. It's just that we're trapped and we're stuck. And that sense of self has not developed in a way that it should for us in an autonomous relationship. Oh my gosh, that really resonates and strikes a chord with me because I was in a very enmeshed system. I feel like it took me a long time to launch um, because I just, I just, I was in it. I was stuck. And it's funny, before I met Rob, one of the mantras that sort of just kind of landed and came to me was standing on my own two feet. Mm -hmm. I can stand on my own two feet. And I think to me, that's so much what this journey towards secure attachment is, is that knowing no matter what, I'm going to be okay. If he leaves, even the love of my life, if he leaves, I'm going to be okay. I can handle it. That is huge. At the beginning of working with couples so often, I think one of the things we, we really pound home is this idea that like, 
no matter what, you have to know that you're going to be okay. You want this relationship to work and you're going to make personal changes to make it work. But if it's dependent on the fact that like it has to work, otherwise I'm not going to be okay. My life is going to fall apart. I'm not worthy. Then it's a, it's just like a setup, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like one important thing to say around attachment is like, you know, we didn't get to choose what kind of attachment. Like if we could all say like, yeah, I wish I would have grown up in this awesome environment where people were attuned to my needs and I know what was safe to have needs. Like we would all pick that, you know, but that we can find secure attachment if we do the work and then we attract that partner that's kind of has that healthy sense of self too. And even if you are in a relationship right now where I know EJ was more avoidant, I was more anxious, but you do the work together, it creates secure attachment. It's the number one thing we do in our work is like, how do we take this dynamic that we're seeing, which a lot of times is anxious, preoccupied with someone who's avoidant, fearful, avoidant, or dismissive, yeah. avoidant, it's all the same difference. And we help them understand like, hey, each of you have needs, your needs are okay. And all we have control over is basically being able to say that my needs are okay, try to identify and verbalize your needs in a hearable way. And then you have this partner that's saying like, absolutely, I can do that for you. But we get so mixed up in like, getting resentful or passive aggressive around needs because we play out our own freaking early attachment if it's unhealthy or insecure yes. and we project it onto our current partner. And again, the work of doing this is just like freedom. Like I can be me and it's okay to be me. Well, you made me think of when you were talking about needs, one of the things that I learned about anxious attachment is that often as someone who who tends towards anxious, we are afraid to be needy and we've been called needy before Mm. and needy has this terrible connotation, but the reality is we all have needs and it's healthy to have needs. And so that was literally the biggest shift I made. I started to identify within myself, which is hard to do. Mm. I had to really get quiet, really sit with it and discover what my needs were. And then have a voice and communicate. And that's the other thing as an anxious person. For me, like I often did not have a voice in relationships. I would be a people pleaser. Mm. I would go with the flow seemingly, but I really inside wasn't. And so just getting really good at knowing what you need and telling your partner what you need is a game changer. I feel like you're speaking my story. <laughs> I'll never forget. I'm, I'll share this story. And I actually want to have a whole podcast on this because nice. I was like, what is going on? And it's when I actually started to get into attachment work for myself, not just studying it through family systems, because I thought I was like totally the cat's meow, like, oh, I'm so good, even though I had this very dysfunctional (laughs) life. It was when I was dating this person. It was like, oh, we had been together for like three or four years. And he had literally a diagnosis of ADD. Like, so he would show up two hours late for a date because he'd be getting into his job really and I kept thinking like, okay, I just got to try harder. I've just got to try harder. And and I'll never forget, like he showed up one time late for a date and I was physically shaking and I wanted to throw up. And I was like, what in the heck is happening to me? And I had that sense of urgency in this relationship, unlike any other relationship I had. And I recognized like, oh my God, that is abandonment 
which kind of rolls into anxious preoccupied that every time like he would get caught in something and he just forgets, like I would literally feel like I wanted to die. Like my entire heart was like on the table throbbing, like, how dare you? And I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is where it's at. I just hadn't found that trigger yet until I was in my thirties. I had always picked guys that like put me on a pedestal. (laughs) So I never got triggered. I could always leave them first. And then here's the guy that like, well, I love you, but I, I'm not in love with you yet. And like, just keep trying harder. And I was like, what is, this is new. And so again, that's when I like did my own work. Obviously like that relationship did not work for me because I can't be with someone who's going to constantly trigger my abandonment. Now I can be with someone who's going to recognize I have them, recognize that like, it's really scary for me. And I might be a little bit more, I call myself high maintenance emotionally, But in a very like accountable, self-aware way, I don't put it on EJ to soothe me. But does he know how to soothe me because I've asked for it when I need it sometimes? Absolutely. But I just remember that moment. I'll never forget it. And then all of the work I've done since then, fast forward 10 years, and now this sense of like security, you know, if EJ doesn't text me back within three hours, it's all good. I know that it's not about that. I know I just kind of went off on a tangent, but I... It just reminded me of my own, like, recognized, oh, I'm really not that healthy. I Darn think, it. I think the fact that you can share a story that, you know, has similarities to the story I was sharing, I think the only reason I even wanted to share my story is because this is all very predictable. Like, once you figure out what your attachment style is, yeah. if you read that book, Attached, it has a quiz in there and everything. You can find out what your attachment style is, and you will feel like you're reading about yourself. We're not that freaking unique. These are universal things. These patterns are universal. And so I really, it's not that I want to just talk about my life. It's that I want to say, hey, like you can probably relate on some level. Maybe you're not anxious. Maybe you go towards the avoidance side. So I have a question for EJ. Sure. um, Because... Well, Tara said that you tend towards maybe the avoidant side. 100%. I, the people that I've met in my life on my journey that were avoidant didn't necessarily want to shift that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I get that. Can you I know, talk to that? Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. as as I was sitting here thinking about this and and trying to figure out like, well, how do what are the obstacles for the avoidant person? Because I think the avoidant person naturally is the person a lot of times who faces a lot of resistance in this. And I think it's the because I can speak for myself, but I can also in the in the multitude of people I've worked with is I think avoidant people try to fool themselves into believing that they're actually secure. Because they're so comfortable with that space away from people and they're so craving of that like autonomy and just like I, I could just take care of myself. I'm totally self-sufficient mm-hmm. that it, you're able to be like, yeah, like they're acting crazy. Like they're, you know, this anxious person <laughs> yeah. is neurotic and really I, I have a secure attachment because I am fine with <laughs> all this space, right? Yeah. And for me, 100% and I think with a lot of avoidant people, there's a journey to understanding like, oh, actually I'm avoidant. Actually, I'm detached. Actually, when we have an intimate moment, I'm really uncomfortable. 
and and I think that's just a, it's a huge barrier because we want to just feel like where's the anxious person is really like seeking like I need to change this. Yes. This isn't good. The avoidant person is pretty damn comfortable <laughs> in their avoidance. Like you know Yeah. And so I think it creates a, a real big barrier and for me that was a and it continues to be like it's such a nuance for me is like when do I have healthy autonomy and when I am I being avoidant? Yeah. You know. Yeah. And then when you're with the anxious person like okay, when are they being anxious and when are they just needing me to show up in a way, you know? And so it's, that's why it's like so important that couples are in this together, that they're both identifying what is up and they're working towards supporting each other in it. Cause it's hard to do alone. I I find it's hard to do alone. I've got to say one thing too, because this reminds me of a lot of like different disorders I've worked with over the year, like bulimia or anorexia. When you are anxious attached, it feels really bad. It doesn't feel good. It feels like we're out of control. It's actually called like ego dystonic, right? It doesn't feel good. Kind of like people who suffer with bulimia, right? They have the shame afterwards. It's kind of dependent on this external thing versus someone who's avoidant, it feels very soothing to the soul because you're doing it by yourself. You've got total control of putting up this wall, right? And that's called egocentonic, right? And a lot of people who struggle with anorexia, like, hey, they can control the amount of food they're putting in their body. It doesn't have to do with anything else. So it's like this whole like safe versus unsafe. Someone with anxious, preoccupied feels unsafe. Their heart starts to race, their stomach starts to whatever. And someone with avoidant can put up the shell and be like, I'm fine. Yeah. And you're so it's one. like, you're it's the one just with the a problem, very nuanced, a subtle nuanced. When you have control and you're able, it feels safe. When you're more anxious, it feels unsafe, but they're both unhealthy. And one of the biggest things we see here with our couples is like when this keeps perpetuating, like someone who's got an anxious attachment or an avoidant attachment, the anxious attachment will pursue, 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 avoidant attachment, withdraw, 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 withdraw. And then it's like, bam, they come into couples counseling because this is not sustainable anymore. And we help them understand like, this isn't even of your own making. This goes back far, far through early attachment, which is why we do all of that, like early work in, in the beginning of our couples counseling sessions. So can I, let me ask you a question, Jesse. So we're defining this for people and, and probably someone is listening to this oftentimes by themselves and there, and there's something about it that they're connecting with, but they're trying to figure out like, how do I talk to my partner about this? You know, like how do you take this awareness and take it to that next step of communicating with your partner about it? That's such a great question. I feel Like, I was so lucky with Rob that he was just so freaking open. So I literally was like, will you read this book? And he's like, yeah. And, (laughs) you know, he did. And that was great. But I don't think that's how everybody is. So I think the more vulnerable you can be and the more you can take accountability for what your style looks like and how it shows up and the ways it doesn't show up great 
and to say, hey, I really want to change this. I want you to understand me, where I'm coming from. But I also want you to understand you and where you're coming from. And I want to understand you so we can help each other because we're going to keep getting stuck in these cycles. Mm -hmm. Like what you just described, like the withdrawal pursuer is a really common cycle to be stuck in. So if we don't learn this stuff, we're going to be stuck. And I'm sick of being stuck. And guess what? It doesn't erase itself in the next relationship after you decide to leave it. (laughs) That honeymoon period might be there, but what we know, right, from statistics too, is it follows you. So if you don't get a good grasp and understanding awareness of what your attachment style is and how it might be blocking or limiting your relationship in certain ways, it continues to follow you until you finally say, I'm going to look at it. Yeah, I mean, I think the the communication technique you use there is framing, right? It's how do I talk to my partner about something in a way where they're going to hear me and they're going to understand what my intent is? And so it's all Mm. about like what, you know, like a picture, like what frame you put that picture in matters in how you perceive it, you know, and taking that moment of like, first, I think you're right, like opening up about yourself. This is something I'm learning about myself and I'm seeing the impact it's having on us. And I think we... That progression of pronouns in communicating with your partner is really important. And it's not our instinct. Our instinct is you and I, you and I. And if it starts with I and then goes to us and we, then it sort of forces your partner in some level to synthesize it through their I. And hopefully you're getting them to talk about like – you know, oh, okay, there's, here's this thing you're presenting me. How do I relate to this piece of information instead of you telling them? So I figured out that I'm this and I'm definitely, you are this, you know? I'm not good. Yeah. But it's natural, right? (laughs) It's tempting because you probably can identify. And actually in the book I keep referring to, there is a quiz, not only for yourself, but for any observations you've had of your partner Ooh. and what their style is. <laughs> so you could literally like go up to them and be like, I see your style is avoidant. Yes. That's not going to work. Yeah. That's yeah. terrible. Don't do that. Yeah. It's about like understanding it and how does that create these limitations in our relationship and what would it look like if we were able to feel more secure and safe? Yeah. And if you can get your partner to go on the journey with you, whether it's just a book or it's a podcast or it's uh, an online program or it's going to therapy. It's like, if you can get your partner to be just engaged in the process with you, where it's about us and it's about learning about ourselves and working towards being our best selves together, Mm. it's a game shifter, you know? Because it sounds like that's what you and Rob were able to do like super early on. Yeah. But not all couples are that lucky, right? Like that's the hard thing. He still says, he's like, I'm so glad that you shared that book with me right away because it just made things make so much sense. Mm -hmm. Like he never gets frustrated if I go into one of my anxious moments. Like he's like, okay, here we are. Like he gets it and he's so patient. And I just think this all seems like maybe a lot, like as we're talking, I'm like, whoa, there's so much to it. I know. And yet I just want to say to all of you listening, like it's not really that hard once you get into it. And it is hands down 
the best thing I've ever done for myself, like ever, because I cared about relationships so much. And I think that is something with people who tend towards anxious. They really want intimacy, like desperately even. And so it just was evading me and evading me and evading me. And now it's like, oh my gosh, this isn't, it's not that hard. It's it's great. And if you can get both of you to be on the page of like, I want to transform, that's huge. But for those of you out there who your partner is really not having it, they don't want to to change or look at this or do this with you, which is going to happen. And I don't right. want to be like, everybody's story is going to be my story. Like, that's not... That's not realistic. So realistically, even if you're one individual and you change this for yourself, you will change the entire relationship. That's that's so, so important because it would be wonderful if people like sort of lined up at the exact same moment all the time to begin this journey together. And it doesn't happen all the time. And sometimes it takes one person just saying like, look, I'm going to start walking down this path by myself. And hopefully though, you can kind of like, if you are that person in the relationship, who's just like, I'm going to start going to therapy or I'm going to start reading these books. You could remember to just with empathy, look back and reach your hand out. Be like, Hey, I would like you to be on this with me. You know, it's hard though for them to not fall into resentment, right? Because then they're like, I'm doing all this work. I've heard this over and over, right? I'm doing all this work. My partner's not doing anything. And sometimes they have to be really patient to wait for their partner to join them on that journey. Absolutely. One of the things too that happens when couples are doing their work in couples therapy and they start to develop emotional safety, like secure attachment just organically starts to form. It's not like this light switch, like, oh, we went from anxious, avoidant to secure, bam, it's a process, right? And it's delicate. And through the support, again, of like a therapist that can hold that space and then help couples hold that space for each other, it organically starts to happen and you see it. Couples can feel it and the therapist can feel that shift. And it's like, holy awesome. This is why we do what we do. So Jesse, can you give us a success story? Because couples love these. Yeah, for sure. I have two people who probably actually both tended more towards anxious. Each of them did, Mm. but it showed up in different ways. And at the beginning, it was like, they were, how do I put it? Well, one person in the relationship, like he could not express emotions at all, like didn't know how, couldn't be vulnerable. But it turns out like he was really just so freaking scared of being rejected, which is what anxious is. And then for her, like she really wanted to share emotions and she was ready to share emotions. And and then she was just feeling frustrated because he wasn't intimately connecting with her. And so what was kind of cool with two anxious people was that essentially when it really came down to it, they actually wanted the exact same thing. Mm but they were both so scared. So just slowly, I mean, we, oh my gosh, we worked together. I think it was, it ended up being five months. And now they're just like a different couple. And it, it, like Tara said, it's not this like exact science. I'm not like, I did X, Y, and Z and they got there. It wasn't about me. It was 
they fostered this really mm-hmm. safe connection. They started practicing sharing their feelings with each other, which I know EJ and Tara talk about a lot on this podcast. Mm-hmm. They started creating you know, space and structures for them to be in these more vulnerable moments. And suddenly it was like, oh my gosh, they're so connected. We just did. So our last session here, we do what we call old story, new story, Mm -hmm. which is using narrative therapy to look at what was the story they were telling themselves when they came in and what's their story they're telling themselves now and going forward? Like, what are they creating? And so their sort of before and after story is like almost if you picture those like gym pictures, like the before and after. <laughs> I mean, it was like a huge difference. It's like they lost 100 pounds. Like it was like a significant I change. like that comparison. <laughs> It's just remarkable too, like, you know, when you have those moments with a couple where they've transformed. Yes. You know, they're the same people fundamentally. They still have struggles, but there's just something that is, you know, fundamentally transformed about their relationship and how happy they are and how free they feel and how if they have a family, the family starts functioning better. And yes. The kids, kids are happier. Kids. Yes. It's when I just think about all the work we do here and then I get to have like amazing therapists here at our center and then also on our podcast, I just get goosebumps. Like I love what we do. Sometimes it's really freaking hard, but it's so freaking worth it. And it's not about us. It's about the couples that come in and are brave to go there and then come out with this amazing new narrative, which serves them for life. Yeah. It, oh my God. I'm, now I'm getting the goosebumps. I know you I, are. I, like, I was thinking it earlier. I was like, I haven't gotten the goosebumps yet. <laughs> there it is. But I have so many success stories. And one more little success story is this one couple, they're anxious and avoidant. So one's anxious, one's avoidant. And um, the anxious person realized that she had literally never been voicing what was true for her. She would numb it out with substances, Mm -hmm. just not speak up. And now she's speaking up and it's just like, holy cow. And he's avoidant, but like he can look at it. And and like EJ was saying, like he's, he's willing to question like when is this Mm. the healthy side of it and when is it not and it's really beautiful to watch that work and and the one thing I do notice is because people are really afraid of change and like couples come in like what if what if we change and like they just don't like who I am or like what if I do start to have a voice and they don't like that voice well what we've noticed is it is like a turn on (laughs) like when people start having a voice and letting their partner know their needs, like it feels really good. And there's this whole new level of like respect and admiration. And it's like a whole new energy, if you will. Super sexy. Super. (laughs) As EJ would say about our mics, it's hot. It's hot. (laughs) Like EJ, is there a different word for like sound other than hot? (laughs) Well, Jesse, thank Thank you. you. Thank you. As always, it's always like super engaging. And uh, it's fun because I think one of the things that we – love about speaking with you is like we're all excited about this work we see what a tremendous ability couples have to change and it's just fun to do this work with people it's It's fun to talk about it because it's like it's interesting and you know humans are weird creatures and it just flows yeah 
So I would say, again, recommendation from Jesse is that book, Attached. We'll put it in our show notes. There's also this really awesome um, attachment quiz online you can do that actually gives you a percentage of like what attachment style you are. And so we'll actually put that out in in there too. It takes less than 10 minutes, but it's a really cool, like the research behind it is actually pretty research proven. So it's good. And yeah, that we can shift our insecure attachment to secure attachment if we're willing to do the work and it's not that hard, right? And and avoidant to secure it as well. Yeah. All right. Well, please, you know, follow us on Instagram. We are at relationship underscore renovation. You can like us on Facebook at he said, she said counseling, or you can search for relationship renovation on Facebook. And don't forget to also check us out on TikTok. We are Relationship Renovation. And if you have questions or feedback, send us an email at info at he said, she said counseling.com. And so again, thank you so much, Jesse. It's been a blast thank you, having Jessie. you. Jesse, always so grateful for you. Yeah. As always, take care of yourself, take care of each other. It's what we've got. Yeah. Have a great weekend. Bye. Bye bye. Me and you just singing on the train. Me Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.